Hello, my conversation partner today is a wonderful one, Ron Sider. And many of you will recognize the name. You've probably read a book with his name on the cover because there are plenty of them. Uh, let me give my friend uh, a well-deserved and formal introduction. Ronald J. Sider is Distinguished Professor Emeritus of Theology, Holistic Ministry, and Public Policy at Palmer Theological Seminary at Eastern University and President Emeritus of Evangelicals for Social Action. In 1982, the Christian Century named him one of the 12 most influential persons in the field of religion in the US. His Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger, now in its sixth edition, was recognized by Christianity Today as one of, uh, one of uh, the 100 most influential religious books of the 20th century and named the seventh most influential book in the evangelical world over the last 50 years. He has published over 40 books and has a free blog at ronsiderblog.substack, S-U-B as in boy, S-T-A-C-K, dot com. So that's ronsiderblog at substack.com, and I'll give that to you again. Ron, thank you so much for joining me. Here on Shank Talks Bunhofer. I think you know a bit about that guy. And I have to say, you think a lot like him, but we're here today uh, to talk about your latest book project. I think it's your latest. Yep. And that is uh, The Spiritual Danger of Donald Trump, a provocative title, deliberately so, I would imagine. But tell us about this latest work of yours? Well, the subtitle um, um, adds to um, what we're saying, namely 30 evangelical Christians on justice, truth, and moral integrity. And uh, the book is written by, there are a whole bunch of chapters by Democrats and Republicans and independents, former Republican congressmen, prominent uh, um, evangelical woman speaker in evangelical women's circles, um, Mark Galley, former editor of Christianity Today, we're all raising the question about um, whether or not biblical Christians, uh, how they should think about Donald Trump. And one could summarize it this way. Um, we point out that Trump lies constantly. He's repeatedly demonstrated adulterous sexual behavior. He fails to make justice for the poor a major agenda in his decisions. He consciously stokes white racism. He failed to act promptly and courageously to stem the coronavirus pandemic. Rather than acting to prevent devastating climate change, he's made things much worse with numerous awful decisions. He constantly attacks the press as fake media and thus threatens democracy. Those are some of the things that uh, our evangelical writers talk about in the various chapters. Now, you are a theologian. I would characterize you as a moral philosopher. I don't know if you would claim that tag yourself, but uh, I will 
uh, grant it to you as an honorific for this conversation because I think you've proven your capacity. Thank you uh, for that, that. doctorate. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and um, uh, of course, there's more than a political uh, matter here. Certainly, there is one, and you point out, I, I think. Uh, by the way, folks, uh, I had an opportunity to read this manuscript uh, before publish, you know, before it was published. So I have read the entire work, all these essays, and uh, somewhere in there you make the point, and and I think in what you uh, just alluded to a moment ago, that uh, these contributing authors uh, are not necessarily all anti-Trump. I mean, in the sense that that's their singular uh, political uh, positioning. That you said there are Republicans, there are Democrats. Uh, you don't make it clear, but maybe uh, some of them even voted for Donald Trump or might vote for Donald Trump, certainly don't have a formulaic no on that. Uh, and, and I just wanted to, read, uh, to uh, read this excerpt. I think it comes from your introduction. Everyone knows that our national politics is so fundamentally dysfunctional that our future as a thriving democracy is in danger. A commitment to truth, respect for opponents, and willingness to negotiate reasonable bipartisan compromise is in dreadfully short supply. Serious observers wonder whether the great American experiment in freedom and democracy can survive. So this really isn't about Republican versus Democrat, conservative versus liberal. There seems to be many more reasons for addressing this question of Donald Trump and his presidency. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I say in the introduction that um, all of the authors are Christians who seek to let Jesus Christ be Lord of every part of their life, including their politics. And they seek, uh, we seek, I seek, to let biblical values and norms and standards shape um, what we think about politics. I also recognize that, um, you know, it's not easy to come to faithful, biblically informed decisions about politics and, and good people, you know, come to different conclusions. But it seems to me, uh, and the authors of, of the writers of the chapters believe that in a whole bunch of areas, um, Donald Trump um, has fundamentally violated biblical norms and standards about truth and justice and moral integrity. The list goes on and on. And we believe that it's tragically undermining um, the credibility of not just of evangelical Christianity, because so many white evangelicals support him and make excuses for his awful behavior, but it's even undermining um, faith in Christianity itself. Um, younger people especially are, are looking at um, what he does uh, and then looking at the fact that 81% of white evangelicals uh, continue to support him. And they say, if that's what Christian faith means, 
then count me out, forget it. Uh, and so one of our most serious concerns is what uh, is being done to the name of Christianity and to um, the credibility, certainly of evangelical faith, and to, um, it seems to me, loss of even Christian faith in many young people. So really, the reputation of the gospel itself is on the line here? I, I think there's no question about that. Uh, I think the evidence is that a lot of secular people say, if that's what Christian faith means, then I despise it uh, and I'll have nothing to do with it. And young people who grew up in the Christian church, in the evangelical world, uh, with increasing numbers, in increasing numbers are saying, I don't want any part of this. So uh, you, you were very kind with, with uh, the stack of to be reads in your bin must be breathtaking, I'm sure, because every author in practically in Christendom wants you to read their manuscripts. <laughs> and I'm sure out of your own curiosity, you read voluminously, no question. I've seen your library and your storage stacks, uh, which rival the Library of Congress. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I, I know uh, you have a lot to read, and, and you took the time to read my memoir, Costly Grace and Evangelical Ministers, Rediscovery of Faith, Hope, and Love, and you offered some... Very important book, Rob. Wonderful book. Well, thank you. Um, and you'll recall, uh, I have a chapter in there, Donald Trump and the Moral Collapse of American Evangelicalism. So this is, to me, a question of a demoralization, a demoralized Christian church, damage to the body of Christ itself. Would you agree? No, no question. I mean, just um, listen to a, a few of the key statements from different chapters in the book. This is Vicki Courtney, you know, a, a conservative evangelical woman who is spoken at prominent uh, women's conferences, you know, a prominent uh, conservative evangelical. And she has a chapter on Trump's low view of women. And she gives a whole, she quotes a whole bunch of his awful statements and then says, after reading these words of Trump, even the most objective of people would have to admit to a disturbing trend of chronic objectification and sexualization of women and girls. And she says it's a damaging witness to the name of Christianity to defend Trump's anti-Christian words and actions. Remaining silent will only further damage the witness of the church. Or another, the famous um, uh, historian, Randall Bomber, he says in his chapter, quote, evangelicalism died on November the 8th, 2016. Or Knapp Nasworth, who was the, uh, a political reporter for the very conservative magazine, Christian Post, for a whole bunch of years, and he uh, uh, resigned uh, in dismay over their attack on Christianity Today because of Mark Galley's a famous editorial in December of last year saying that Trump was simply not acceptable. But Nazareth says, quote, evangelicals lost their way and elected a race baiter, a misogynist, and a fool. That's really strong language. 
Samuel Escobar, a very prominent international evangelical leader, you know, says that um, as um, both an American citizen um, and as a um, prominent international evangelical, you know, he's just really dismayed uh, and uh, upset. So these are really strong statements by prominent evangelical Christians. It's quite a collection. I, I looked over um, before actually reading the manuscript, and thank you very much for providing that to me. Um, and, and I found it very edifying, by the way. This is hardly just uh, a diatribe, you know, against Donald Trump as a person. This is dealing with really important principle, uh, questions of principle, of belief, uh, even of doctrine. Uh, that come out. I mean, I think there are 27 contributors. Did I count that right? Or 29? That, that sounds right. Um, actually, I, I think it's 30. Um, uh, 30. One or two chapters are written by two or three people. That's right. Uh, so, and an, an amazing array of evangelicals, uh, Orthodox, that is small o, uh, Christians, uh, well-considered, prayerful, spiritual people. So let's get one big thing out of the way, if we can dis dispense with the elephant. Uh, just before we do that, um, sure. let me just give you a, a couple more of the you know, strong statements. Please. Mark Galley, the former uh, uh, senior editor of Christianity Today, says in his chapter, uh, the chapter is called Why Mere Words Matter, and he says, quote, in his tweets and comments, Mr. Trump habitually ridicules, describing his opponents as, quote, unhinged, quote, crazy, quote, lying, quote, disgrace, quote, losers. Mark goes on, when our nation's leaders speak with disdain and contempt about those with whom he disagrees, he's making America worse. Or Pete Weiner, you know, who served in important positions in Republican administrations, first with Ronald Reagan, and then with both Presidents Bush. And Pete Weiner says in his chapter called The Deepening Crisis in Evangelical Christianity, quote, evangelical Christians should acknowledge the profound danger that's being done to their movement by its love affair with a president who was an ethical and moral wreck. And then uh, two others, um, uh, Chris Thurman, in his chapter, God Hates a Lying Tongue, he says, after just three years in office, Trump has made over 16,000 false or misleading statements. That's according to a careful check that uh, the Washington Post does. And in my chapter, uh, I quote the National Review, you know, the very conservative uh, political magazine, and they did an editorial uh, in... Uh, you know, a few months, a couple months ago, partway through, you know, Trump's mistreatment and failure to handle the COVID-19. And they say, quote, um, so far in this crisis, Donald Trump himself has obviously failed to rise to the challenge of leadership, and it does no one any favors to pretend otherwise. You know, that's not a liberal magazine, that's the very conservative editors of the National Review. Well, frankly, you know, having spent most of my adult life 
in the conservative movement. And 25 years in Washington, D.C., meeting with top conservative political figures, uh, spending 10 of those years in regular conversation with the conservative justices on the Supreme Court. With all of that, I actually find very little about Donald Trump that, he, that is conservative. Very little. I, I, I don't even know how you use that moniker with Donald Trump. I mean, whether from, uh, you know, budgetary and spending uh, patterns all the way to personal behavior. Uh, I, I don't find much conservative there at all. But speaking of conservative, my uh, various uh, social media pages are filled with folks who would identify as conservatives of the 10,000 or so that I interact with regularly. Uh, 95% of them identify as conservative and Republican. And they will say, and almost instantly, whenever Donald Trump uh, and morality or, or even Christianity is brought up, I will get very quick responses saying, well, what do you want? Uh, you want a pro-abortion Democrat in office? And that seems to be the last word. It comes down to Donald Trump, in their minds, Donald Trump is against abortion. Any Democrat is for abortion. So therefore, it's really a very simple decision. It's either for or against abortion. It has nothing to do with Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Democrat versus Republican. It's just you're for abortion or you're against abortion. Now, I think, I think we have to ask, does abortion, pardon the phrase, trump all other issues? Uh, and the National Association of Evangelicals is the most, um, is the largest evangelical network uh, in the country. And they have a document for the health of the nation. It's their official public policy document. And that document explicitly says, quote, faithful evangelical civic engagement must have a biblically balanced agenda. And they go on to say that that means it should be pro-life and pro-poor, uh, pro-family and pro-racial justice, pro-creation care, pro-peacemaking. There and explicitly says that uh, we need to be telling the truth. Uh, they go on to have chapters um, on, yes, they're conservative, as I am, on abortion um, and on marriage. But they also have a long chapter on economic justice, and they have a great chapter on racism, and a good chapter on creation care, the environment, and a good chapter on peacemaking. And they're saying that all of those issues matter. And so when we think about any political candidate, certainly any choice, we have to ask, okay, which candidate on balance is closer to that whole biblically balanced agenda? Now, we'll never have a candidate who agrees with everything that we, we favor, uh, but we have to make those kinds of judgments. And I think it's obvious that um, being pro-life means not just being concerned with somebody from conception to birth, it means being concerned with the sanctity of human life all the way through. Uh, and that means a healthcare system that uh, makes sure that everybody uh, has good healthcare. 
uh, in the richest nation in human history. It means um, a position uh, uh, opposing cigarette smoking. It means, um, I think, uh, uh, a position saying we'd rather uh, uh, put dangerous people in prison all their life uh, than execute somebody made in the image of God. It, it means concern with uh, global hunger, because uh, especially now with COVID-19, we're going to have hundreds of millions of poor people literally starving. Surely that's a pro-life issue. How, how long have you been a Christian, Ron Sider? Well, you know, I grew up in a Christian family, so uh, somewhere that was a that was a clever way of asking how old you are. <laughs> <laughs> I will be uh, eighty-one sometime uh, this year. Uh, wow, you make the future look terrific. May we all grow up to be like you. Uh, so, eighty. I accepted Christ uh, in a revival meeting in my home congregation somewhere uh, around the age of ten. And after some, uh, there was some struggle uh, in the first couple of years of college intellectually, but uh, I've been a Christian and evangelical uh, virtually um, uh, all of my life. So uh, seven or more decades, yep. uh, you have spent serving the Lord, uh, growing in your faith constantly. I know that's the kind of person you are. And you've been engaged in the study of scripture and the teaching of theology and doctrine. How, how many years? Uh, I suppose, you know, in an in a informal way from, uh, from Sunday school, but certainly uh, when I was um, in my early to mid-20s, I, um, I took three years out and uh, did a theology degree uh, and starting um, um, in 1978, I've been a professor of theology uh, for the rest of my life until I retired last year. So, you know, I've been trying to figure out uh, what it means to be faithful to Jesus, what it means to follow biblical standards in every area of life, including politics, but certainly in economics, in one's marriages, um, in uh, one's sexual life. Uh, I mean, all of those things matter, and it grieves me so much when Christians um, fail in any of those areas. When did Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger first come out? First edition was uh, 1977. Uh, the most recent sixth edition is 2015. So I remember when it rolled off the presses, and we were all scurrying to the local Christian bookstore to buy it. And, it, and your work was very formative in the, the beginnings of my own spiritual life and formation in ministry. And the reason I ask you all these questions is because for those who are listening and others you might share this podcast with, you're hearing from a really seasoned, solid, uh, very sober-minded, dedicated, and mature Christian man, the true definition of an elder. So I hope you're not too fast to just dismiss this as so much, you know, politicking from the left, using all these very convenient handles that allow us to escape the deeper questions. 
if I can just say to somebody, well, you're a liberal, you're a leftist, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're not a conservative. What that does is it excuses you. It excuses you from the serious work that has to be done. And this compilation of essays coming again, not from one author, not one person with one opinion, but many authors with many nuances of opinion coming at this question from very different uh, angles. And in reading their biographies, I think you'll be as impressed as I am. These are evangelicals among evangelicals. These people are trained in uh, eminent uh, evangelical institutions, whether that's uh, Wheaton College, Billy Graham's alma mater, uh, Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, which has a very rich and deep evangelical, even I would I would say evangelistic uh, history to it. Uh, you have uh, Methodist schools, Reformed Church, uh, Calvinist schools like uh, Calvin uh, Calvin University in Grand Rapids, and on and on it goes. So. These are serious people with serious histories that are not given to hyperbole and vitriol, but well-considered arguments. All my life, uh, I have not just identified as an evangelical, but I've, I've been an evangelical. I believe passionately in Orthodox theology, and I believe passionately in the importance of, of evangelism. I'd like everybody in the world to hear about Jesus and accept him as their personal Lord and Savior. And in terms of politics, you know, um, uh, I haven't just been a one-person uh, kind of voter. Um, I voted Republican and Democrat. I voted for George W. Bush twice. Uh, and uh, I uh, think I've always tried to say, you know, when it comes to politics, and I agree that's complicated and difficult, but even there, uh, you know, one needs to respect people who come to different conclusions. And this book is saying, you know, come and reason with us. Uh, come and sit down and look at the careful arguments that committed evangelical Christians uh, are making. Uh, and we just ask you to prayerfully be open to hearing what we're saying. You know, I've done that exercise myself in reading three books that make a case for Donald Trump mm -hmm. and his presidency from a Christian perspective. Uh, I've read three. Um, one of the authors, uh, two of the authors actually, I know personally one better than the other. Uh, and one of those books even makes the case that he is actually, Donald Trump is actually anointed by God in a special way for this time to give uh, leadership to the United States of America. So I've read that. And of course, now I've, I've read this compilation that you've edited and you know many other uh, perspectives that would be the opposite. I've written my own in that chapter uh, in my own memoir. So I've tried to balance these things out. I also have personal friends who work for this president. Uh, some of my closest uh, friends actually work for this president. So I, I stay in conversation with them. And I don't see how that can be unhealthy for a Christian. Uh, 
as you say, God himself through the prophet Isaiah invites us to reason together. He says, come, let us, I know that's, that passage is actually in the opening of the book. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Well, it's hard to reason unless you know both sides of the argument. In in summary, uh, Ron, um, the title of the book has the word danger in it. What is the greatest danger for Christians now in this moment in the United States of America with regard to the presidency of Donald Trump? What's the kernel of it? What's at the heart of the danger? Well, if you think that the Bible says that truth is important, that justice for the poor is important, that respect for women uh, is important, uh, that care for the environment is important, um, respect for opponents is important, Um, then all of that is clearly at stake. I mean, one way to ask the question is to say, obviously, the President of the United States um, has a very important um, role model. Uh, Does what this president does uh, reflect what we as evangelical Christians want our children to imitate? There's no question, but the president um, provides a role model. Uh, Is that what we want? Now, I I say in the preface to the book, and and this is important, I mean it, I think it's so important that our political differences not be as important as our oneness in the body of Christ. Surely our commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and our oneness in the body of Christ is more important than political differences. So that means I want to go on uh, listening. Uh, I'd love to talk to um, you know prominent uh, evangelical supporters of Trump. I actually uh, in my morning prayers, most days, I name by name uh, a number of uh, the prominent evangelical supporters uh, of Donald Trump. And I ask God to be with them and to guide them, uh, to be speaking to them. Um, I'm trying to be open. Uh, I hope and pray that somehow the Spirit works in their hearts and minds uh, and um, is open. Uh, so our oneness in Christ has to be more important than anything else, but that doesn't mean we don't talk about crucial political decisions. Uh, And I think there's no doubt, but that this election in 2020 is the most important election in the last 150 years since um, um, 1860 when Abraham Lincoln uh, was elected. So we have to talk about it, be honest, uh, but try to love each other and respect each other even in our major disagreements. So here's what I'm going to recommend. First of all, uh, regardless of where you fall uh, on either side of this argument, I'm gonna recommend you get this book uh, because it's it's really, really rich. And uh, it will help you develop your own skills 
for making your side of the argument. And I'm going to include, you know, I'm going to assume most of our podcast family will be to one degree or another in agreement with these authors and with Dr. Sider as editor. Uh, but maybe not. I don't, you know, uh, I don't know all of you. Uh, you may lean, you know, more one direction or the other, or even have an opposite opinion and support Donald Trump. Well, both sides need to know the details of the theological, moral, uh, sociological arguments here, uh, ethical arguments that are in these uh, essays, and it will better equip you. So do it for your own sake uh, to either strengthen, uh, to strengthen your argument on either side. It's going to end up strengthening your argument. But uh, just as importantly, make sure you get a second or even third copy to give away to somebody where it really matters. Maybe somebody who's in a quandary about all this, uncertain, unsure, uh, and they need to read this kind of material to help them come to a conclusion. Another person may be the diametric opposite of you. Uh, maybe you don't support uh, the Trump presidency, and maybe that person does, and you can hand them a, a copy or send it to them, an electronic version. I understand there's going to be a hardcover, softcover paper, uh, and also a digital uh, electronic book, and you can get any of those formats, give it away and tell that person, um, I thought you would appreciate a really considered view on these things. You may not like this book. You may hate it. You may not like me for giving it to you, but regardless, I'd love to hear back from you. No matter what your opinion is, I invite a conversation. Would love to have it with you. It's the kind of conversation I'm having with a lot of friends and colleagues and even family members. Uh, you heard Dr. Sider say he's doing the same. And Ron, I understand folks can actually get this book at a very, very deep discount, same discount I enjoy as an author buying my own book for friends. Folks can get that same benefit uh, of a deep discount. Can you tell us about it? Yes, they just need to use the code DANGER40. Uh, and order it from Wiffenstock. Um, telephone number is 541-344-1528, or they can do it uh, with an email to orders at Wiffenstock.com. Um, so there are easy ways to get it. Yeah, let me spell it for you. W-I-P-F-A-N-D-S-T-O-C-K. Wiff and Stock, all one word, lowercase, whipfandstock.com. You've heard of Whipf and Stock. You probably have their books on your shelves. Great publishing house. And you go to orders at whipfandstock.com. You can find it online as well, whipfandstock.com, The Spiritual Danger of Donald Trump. You can pre-order now. You can also get it at other uh, book suppliers. Uh, including Amazon. If you do Amazon, please do smile.amazon.com and name the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute as your charity and your purchase of any book will assist the Institute. But this is great. I mean, you can get it 40%. That this That basically means nobody's making any money on this book. They're covering the costs of it, essentially. So it's really a gift to the country. And you can order 
multiples of it. Maybe do it as a group study. Uh, maybe do it as a class. These are great ways to multiply the message. And these are great messengers, very credible people. This is not one opinion offered by one author. It is multiple nuances of opinion coming from multiple authors that form a consensus on this critical issue. Ron Sider, it's always a pleasure uh, to have a conversation with you. You've been a mentor. You've been a tutor. Uh, you've been a role model for me uh, in so many ways, and I'm grateful to God for it. And at 81 years young, we've still got lots of years to benefit from your tutelage, and I deeply appreciate that. Thank you for spending this time with me and with our family at Shank Talks, Bunhofer. Uh, I can't wait to see the buzz that this book is going to bring to a very, very serious subject. My guest has been Ron Sider, editor and contributor to uh, the new Whipfenstock book, The Spiritual Danger of Donald Trump. Multiple evangelicals providing multiple arguments on why support for this presidency puts Christians and all those we seek to influence in peril. Thank you, Dr. Sider. Thanks, Rob. Great to be with you.